um, because I'm going to be hearing that voice for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I haven't been able to accomplish the downloading of the recordings, um, partly because my technical support people have been away or otherwise encumbered. So um, if you're interested in the recordings or missed a, you know, missed a session and you're looking for the recording, I'll have this sorted out. Um, I don't actually have access to the cloud and process them and yeah, and provide a place for me to link. Yeah. Um, so what I thought we would do today is try to maybe finish up the Fukan Zazengi. Um, anything that people want to bring forward. I did uh, turn, I did manage to bring the wrong Kaz Tanahashi volume, all the Kaz Tanahashi volumes. This is the one that doesn't have the Fukan Zazengi in it. So if anybody wants to bring up any difference in the translation um, that Kaz uh, provided, you'll have to just read it and we can talk about it um, compared to the translation that we've been um, mostly engaged with, it, which is the one that we also been chanting. Um, and uh, I also sent you all a link to a kind of long, uh, it was really, it was a talk, I think, or maybe more than one talk uh, by this teacher who's not in our lineage um, up in the Pacific Northwest named Domio Burke, which is a Soto Zen teacher in a related lineage where she talks about suchness or lessness or ta-ta-ta, <laughs> which is the Sanskrit um, and related concepts. And um, so uh, since this fascicle of Dogen mentions suchness, if you want to attain suchness, practice suchness without delay, right? Um, Kaz has a slightly different translation for that. I remember because I reread it tonight or, or this afternoon. Um, but uh, we could talk a little bit about that. Of course, this recurs and recurs, suchness, thusness. Um, in Japanese, it's immo. Um, and there's a whole fascicle, a whole chapter in the Shogogenzo just about it. But it's a free, it frequently occurs in Dogen's teaching. Um, so, uh, and then I thought we might conclude that discussion, you know, at some point, maybe halfway through. And then I wanted to chant the part of the Bendowa that is a sutra, which is um, in Japanese called the Jijuyu Zamai, and it's usually translated as the self-receiving and employing samadhi. And the cards are there, we'll pass them out when the time comes. So that's what we'll chant tonight rather than read and chant the Fukanza Zengi again. Um, okay, so happy plan. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, you all online. Good evening, and I'll try to notice you. But if you, if I'm not noticing you, have something to contribute, please unmute and say Choro, <laughs> and I'll call on you. Um, okay, so does anyone have anything they'd like to offer or bring up, or things that are perplexing or unresolved, or maybe unfolding about Fukunza Zengi, or anything else for that matter? Questions? I have a question, Charo. Yes. So um, this little brief little passage always um, was kind of, um, I guess, sort of nebulous or murky for me in terms of interpretation. Um, it is, where is it? It's, uh, oh, 
When you stand up from sitting, move your body slowly and rise calmly without haste. We understand from past precedents that going beyond ordinary and sacred, where sitting and standing are effortless and boundless, depends solely on the power of zazen. I guess my trouble is understanding how these two sentences are connected. Um, it, <laughs> when I first read it, my initial impression was like, you know, don't stand up too fast in case your <laughs> legs are asleep. And, you know, when it's talking about life and death. Uh, but then yeah. after kind of meditating or sort of like thinking or sort of mulling it over a little bit, um, I almost wondered if it if it is sort of like a sort of um, advice to sort of like sort of dissolve um, these imagined boundaries between what happens on the cushion and what happens like off the cushion. So it's kind of like both of these things are kind of bouncing around in my mind. And I was curious to hear what you have to say about this. So the, um, in, the trend, in the Waddell and Abe translation, it's um, when you arise from sitting, um, move slowly and quietly, calmly and deliberately, do not rise suddenly or abruptly. And then he has the sentence, which just says like, you know, here's how you get up, right? Like, like Eric said, oh, that was Eric. But, um, and uh, then there's a sentence, in surveying the past, we find that transcendence of both unenlightenment and enlightenment and dying, according to this translation, dying while either sitting or standing have both depended entirely on the strength of Zazen or have all depended entirely on the strength of Zazen. So that seems like a big claim for, you know, get up slowly, and right, don't rush. So I think two things are going on here. Um, one of them is what, what Dogen is sort of instructing is about is that when we are doing this practice, we are Buddha. And he's given us very precise instructions about how to get into the position, right? How to prepare the place, what kind of place, don't eat and drink too much, right? Loosen your, your robes so that you can sit down in a, you know, in a comfortable way. Put your put one foot this way, the other foot, you know, all that, right? Very, and then line up your body, line up your head. And then, you know, like, what do you do when it's, when the bell rings, right? So partly it's a closing ceremony in a way, right? And I try to do this, although for a long time I resisted doing it. When I was first meditating, I felt like a, no one else was doing it. You know, I read the Fukan Zazengi and I thought I should be doing this. This is what Dogen taught. So I would, you know, do this or trying to kind of not draw too much attention to myself. And then I'd notice no one else was doing it and I would just stop. But the longer I sit, the more I think that, that the details are actually important. And I'm not sure if we teach this in, in our Zazen instruction or not. You know, whether we, 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 I know we say, if your legs are asleep, take your time, right? Because people do fall over and it's, <laughs> it's a little dramatic, right? But it's also, you know, there's a whole fascicle called, you know, basically the, the awesome presence of active Buddhas. That's one of Dogen's chapters, right? So even when you're getting up, right, there's a way to get up if you're doing this practice thoroughly. So I think that that's part of it, right? To, this is how you get up after having made this effort to get the details of sitting. Then when you undo it, you know, you sort of, just gradually put your body back into motion right? and you don't leap up. Some people do, but you know, but if you're a 
and you don't like take elaborate amounts of time either. Sometimes people are like so into being really precise that like, you know, everybody else is ready to go. And there's one person who's still like fixing their Zafu, exactly, right? Um, so you can go too far. But then this, this thing about in surveying the past, right? Dying while either sitting or standing have all depended entirely on the strength of Zazen. And there are stories at least a couple, and I think um, my original teacher, Joshua, mentions a, a couple of teachers who actually, you know, knew they were going to die, and they they took up the, you know, the sitting position, and they, they died. They just, that was it. So, you know, people who are so present with their experience and know themselves so well, body and mind, that they know that that's what's going to happen. Um, or standing, you know, which is also a posture. Right, there are four postures. There's standing, sitting, walking, and lying down. All four of those things are things that human beings do. And in all four of them, you can be concentrated. You know, you can be completely present. So you could be standing, you know, um, hopefully I will not be standing at the end of the bowing mat and say, excuse me, folks, I'm dying now. <laughs> I don't think that my powers will not extend that far, but that's the kind of story you can read in the you know, in the analects. So I think it's about being totally present with whatever you're doing and being thorough in everything that you do so that you, there's no part of yourself that you don't notice, including the thought of, hmm, I think I'm dying. <laughs> does that make some sense, Eric? It does, yes, thank you, Tra. Uh, yeah. So you said something about um, treating it as a <clears throat> closing ceremony. So is it kind of like, the sitting down and, and the rocking back and forth is the opening ceremony and then the and then the closing ceremony. Yeah, it's like a it, it's almost like you know a framing device, right? When you sit down, we are also you know, and this going like this back and forth when you first sit is a way also to am I am I even on the cushion? You know, I frequently find that one of my hips is a little bit forward or and I don't notice it until I do that. And then I think, oh, it feels different, right? So I, I, it breaks my habit of just sitting down and saying, yeah, good enough, right? Mm -hmm. So I do that. And I also stretch forward and then kind of roll back and then try to let my body sell. So I do go through all these motions and, and do them kind of deliberately every time I sit down. So yeah, it, it just returns, it's, it's symmetrical, right? It's balanced if you do the same rocking when you get up. And, and if you've been still for a long time also, you know, it kind of, Returns you to, to movement. There. I was just noticing that Tim Kroll did that. So did he? When he talked, he talked that way. Did yeah. you come have the same your teacher? Yes, she was very, she she was a, a real Zazen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tim Kroll, who some of you know, and I shared the same original teacher. And um, yeah, that's how she taught Zazen, the, the way Dogen taught Zazen. This is done before and after Dogen, this way. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be dramatic. I mean, you don't have to, like, you know. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, if your if your hips are going off the cushion, you probably it's probably a little poor, but just you know, kind of like a, and it also kind of interrupts that feeling of like, wow, finally I can unbend my legs, I can move. And sometimes it's like you're ready, you're really ready, right, to unwind, and it just interrupts that impulse, that you know, that momentum that we always have. Like when you're ready to go, it's like out the door. Right? It, it just stops you from rushing and appreciating what you've been doing. All those reasons, I think, are reasons. To, so try it out.
see how it feels. Keep me company. <laughs> Someone else, hey, Elliot. You have I was going to say that I've been trying it since we read the book on the thingy, and um, I really like it. It's really nice. It's a nice way to check in and be like, oh, I'm going to need to adjust my legs, but this one's going to fall asleep before. Um, but I haven't been doing it when I get back up. And I've been, I was like, I didn't really know how to. I was like, get up slowly. And I was like, what's too slow? What's too fast? Is this fast? Is this slow? Um, so I, I like that idea. I'm going to try this. The rocking in reverse. You know, if you're the first person who bounces to their feet and is stand, you know, and standing up, then maybe it's a little fast. And if you're the last person getting up, then maybe it's a little <laughs> slow. So, you know, it's the middle way, right? Yeah. It's the middle way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I know we went over this, uh, but I do need a, I'd like a little clarification on the line about the, uh, the elephant and the, uh, the dragon. Ah, so that's at the end, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So just to read it again, um, this is the Waddell and Abe. Please honor followers of Zen long accustomed to groping for the elephant. Do not be suspicion of the true dragon, right? So, you know, anybody who comes to this practice is searching for something or, or asking a question or has a purpose, has a reason. That may change as you practice. Like, it's like whatever brought you here may not have the same exact significance once you start sitting, but there's a reason, right? So there's the parable of the blind, blind men and the elephant. Right. If you if you're if you have a large creature, an elephant, and uh, and different people who can't see the animal and don't know what it is, put their hands on different parts of it. They're going to have different impressions. Right. So it's a partial view. Right. If you grab the trunk, it's like a snake. If you grab the leg, it's like a tree. Right. You know that it's a folktale kind of thing. Right. So long accustomed to you know feeling your way. Try, what is this? Right. Trying to understand it with this practice and that practice and this technique and you know that teacher right when you see the true dragon that's the story of the man who loved dragons so much and he just filled his house with dragons right carved dragons i think i think uh had said stuffed dragons you know now would be stuffed dragons Dra mm -hmm. dragon toys mm -hmm. right dragon paintings right and an actual dragon was you know flying through the air and saw this guy and his love of dragons and said, I'm going to pay this guy a visit. He's going to love to see a real thing. You know, he's such a dragon <laughs> devotee. So the dragon arrives and knocks on the door and the guy opens it. It's like, ah! <laughs> so it's like, you know, when you see the real thing, it may not be what you expect. It may be terrifying. It may be, you know, like, what do I do with this? Right? This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Suzuki Roshi said to somebody who asked a question about enlightenment, when he said, you might not like it. <laughs> so i think it's a story like that you know like when you when the real thing comes don't walk away from it because you think this can't possibly be it right mm. it can't possibly be it sure, has there been anyone who saw the dragon or like never mind i want to go back to my life i will lie i have not heard that as a story but i suppose that could happen mm. right you know i mean in a way that is the story of zen right you see the dragon and you go, oh, a dragon. And then you go back to making tea and cooking <laughs> rice and taking out the trash, right? But it hasn't like spooked anyone where they're like, I'm never meditating again or anything. Well, the, the story about the, the guy with the dragon doesn't actually tell you what happened to him, whether he just threw out all of his carved dragons and said, you know, I'm done with dragons, or whether he eventually thought, wow, oh, how cool. 
here's the true dragon. Yeah. yeah. The things can't be like our ideas of them, right? We might not. Our ideas are our ideas, and the real thing is the real thing. Yeah. yeah it's, it's in, in the um, House Tanahashi yeah. translation. He talks of, says, uh, do not uh, grow an elephant, but try to grasp the true dragon. Ah. Instead of saying, don't be suspicious of the true ah. dragon, he says, don't try and grasp don't it. Don't try to grasp it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Which is an interesting difference. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? Um, well, I think in that context of, of like, let's, if you experience this, don't try to grasp it, go after it. And but then the doesn't fit so neatly in that translation with the, the story. story. Yeah. yeah. So that it's like, it's like, I wonder, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to know what, um, his motivation, I guess, was that for that. But I mean, it makes sense in both ways, but in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah, it's a, there's, a, there's a different nuance to it. Mm -hmm. have to, I could ask Kaz, who mm -hmm. sent me an email yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, he might not remember what he was thinking, but he <laughs> translated it that way. But I mean, we, in general, we also don't, you know, anything that we try to grasp eludes us, right? Mm -hmm. Clinging to anything, even a, a goal like enlightenment is a trap. Right. So whether it's a carved dragon or a true dragon, if you're, you know, you're, you're trapped by uh, your ideas of it or you're wanting to possess it and hold on to it, it's going to escape you. Right. What about like um, if you thought it was a true dragon, but it really wasn't? Is that mm -hmm. a possibility? I mean, that prevent you from actually encountering the real dragon the real if you dragon. thought you'd already. Yeah, there's infinite regression of dragons now. The illusion of a dragon. Well, you know, they are mythical creatures after all. So what's the true dragon? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 No, that's a question to sit with. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of like, like, can you know? You know, is knowing that it is a true dragon, like, is that an idea? Is that another idea about um to say, yeah, I did, I know, I saw the true dragon or whatever, is that just a... Um... Well, you know how this thing starts, right? And uh, it says, uh, right, uh, if there's the slightest discrepancy, right, the way is as distant as heaven from earth, right, the least like or dislike arises. Suppose you gain pride of understanding and inflate your own enlightenment, glimpsing the, glimpsing the wisdom that runs through all things attaining the way and clarifying the mind, and then you raise an aspiration to escalate, where did they come up with these words? Escalate the very sky, right? Actually, you're only making the initial partial excursions about the frontiers, but you're still somewhat deficient in the vital way of total emancipation. So you could be chasing the dragon through the sky, thinking I've seen the dragon and now I'm, you know, I'm on my way here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna continue after this dragon, but, yeah, no, maybe you're actually not seeing the real thing. Yeah, I mean, there's always more. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's part of the, the training is like very, not very nice. Now drop that and keep and, you know, keep going. Don't get stuck there. Don't think you have anything. Don't you think you have it? It is boundless, you know? Yeah. There's a question about that same thing that helped me a lot in the middle of yeah. Like the same, pretty much the same dialogue. You want to quote it? I don't know which one it is. Oh, okay. Oh, you mean one of the questions? Yeah, one of the questions. Oh, okay. We'll get to that. Try yeah. to let's try to remember. 
I think um, what we're all pointing at is uh, if, if you meet the Buddha on the path, kill him. Yeah. Isn't that one of the things? Yeah, you know that saying, like, which is shocking, right? If you meet the Buddha on the road, kill the Buddha. You know, what could that possibly mean? And so what do you think it means, Sherry? Um, you think you love, you've gained some, some insight or some enlightenment a prime enters. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's just your, you know, it may just be your idea. You see somebody in robes. Uh -huh. You know, you think, oh, holy, 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 right? And it's just your, it's it's not, you know, it's just, it's your idea of what a teacher is or an enlightened person is or what enlightenment is. And so it's going beyond all of our ideas and categories and, yeah, notions. Anything else? Did you find it, Matt? The question that you were thinking of? Uh, you could jump ahead to that if you want. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this <laughs> that's from question seven. What about those who have already clarified the true Buddha Dharma? What can they expect to receive from doing Dharma? <laughs> okay. It's a really long response, but Dogen kind of gives them the smack down. Then Noah has a wonderful context. Here. So there are these, there are the set of, there's the text, and then there's a set of questions from people who are listening to him basically give his spiel about why, you know, Soto Zen that he's brought back from China is the way, why it's superior to everything else. And uh, some of them are really totally clueless. Um, and some of them are asking interesting questions. And it's interesting to speculate about who some of these characters are because they're not identified. But many of his very earliest followers were following a different form of Buddhism and they ended up jumping ship and becoming his disciples, right? So, but it reflects the state of Buddhism actually in Japan at the time, which is also kind of interesting. Like people come and say, okay, who's this new guy? You know, what behind the ears comes back from Japan, and I mean, from China and he's gonna start his own, you know, place. What, let's, let's see if we, let's see what he's got, right? Yeah. When did Buddhism come to Japan? Uh, Buddhism came to Japan well before this, um, seventh or eighth century, like that. Yeah. yeah. So Buddhism has been around, and and actually Rinzai Zen had been around just before Dogen. Dogen actually practiced with, with Rinzai teachers in Kyoto, and he wasn't satisfied. And he before that was he was ordained at thirteen as a ten, Tendai monk which is a kind of esoteric Buddhist sect. So he tried out a lot of things himself before coming up with China and, and this particular you know, school of Zen, which he decided to bring back. Okay, anything else about Granta Zengi? Do you wanna talk about suchness? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So what did you make of Domio Burke or yeah, she she's obviously trying to bring together a bunch of different strands of Buddhist teaching and help people to understand, you know, think something of enlightenment or especially of emptiness, right? And difference in equality or difference in unity, as we sometimes talk about it. And then this, I guess we'll call it a concept of suchness or thusness. Yeah. Any anybody want to? 
from her from from her teacher or from directly from Fukanzo's AV. It's just one line in Fukanzo's AV. If you want to attain suchness, practice suchness without delay. It sounds easy, but what is it? <laughs> like the uh, example of she's talking about the hand, like uh, your finger represents like you or the subjective world, and then the hand surrounding it is like the absolute. And basically, you have you can still move your finger and do things, but it's part of the absolute because it's part of your hand. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, so that's one. She gives us a, a number of examples of that kind of at least indicate some direction that we can all like understand. The other is Thich Nhat Hanh's leaf. Mm -hmm. um, the other, he has an, another off-quoted example: a piece of paper. You know the paper one, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at a piece of paper, you can actually see in it everything that brought it, it doesn't have its own any own being right it doesn't have any independent existence right what's what's in here what, what is this what is made of clouds, clouds water clouds water soil soil sunlight rocks yeah i mean everything that that brings trees or whatever the fiber is into existence right it goes into this and and this is impermanent we all know that right it gets wet it falls apart burns to ash, right? So it's a way of talking about impermanence. It's a way of talking about, you know, interdependence, which is a big teaching of Thich Nhat Hanh, inter, interdependence, or as Suzuki Roshi like to say, interdependency, right? Interdependency, interbeing in the case of, yeah, Thich Nhat Hanh, an order of interbeing. You, yeah. you mentioned how um, translation doesn't use the word such and such, like, what do you use? And it's he says the fundamental point. That's what he uses instead of suchness. And so it's kind of like maybe the fundamental point of, of, of emptiness, perhaps. Well, the fundamental point is an interesting uh, thing. It's one of the reasons why I decided to talk about the Gendro Koan during our next retreat, because that's often translated as actualizing the fundamental point or the, you know, the kind of point of everydayness of experience. Right, that's the same word, and it, and it, and it's the root of it is this is koan, right? Which are these cases that we have from mostly from Tang Dynasty China. They're stories of encounters between mostly between teachers and students, sometimes between two students who are like testing each other, and um, they they sound like enigmas or riddles. And you know, there's a lot of mystery around them, but basically they're stories of, of encounters between people who are working the Dharma together and inquiring together and what comes up from a mutual inquiry. Um, and so uh, it means basically a public case. It comes from Chinese court practice, like, a, like you have a case in a court, right? And there's a judgment or there's a, a resolution and, there's a, and it's a public record. So it's a public record of like a dispute that's resolved in this in, in this story that's being told. Um, <clears throat> so this is the Genjo Koan, like the, the fundamental, uh, I want to call it a riddle, but the, the fundamental experience. What is it? That's that's Genjo Koan. And it's just, that's what he's referring to here in Fukunza Zengi. Yeah. Could be maybe extrapolated to also be suchness, perhaps. Yeah, 
So it depends on what you think suchness is, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not the same word, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not using the same. Well, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? What was the Japanese word? Could be both the two different Well, I think suchness is emo, yeah. but, but, but the thing about the fundamental point is genjo koan. So yeah, I was wondering, because they were both working, I guess, from the same Japanese text, that one came up with a fundamental point, and the other yeah. one came up with suchness. I think the last line is, is practice thusness continuously, and you will be thus, which I think is the, is the closer line to the Is that, is that what Tanahashi says? Uh, it's yeah, so it's so the very last page. It says that yeah. practice thusness continuously and you will be thus. The mm -hmm. treasury will open of itself for you to use mm -hmm. as you wish. Right. right, it is the last line, right? The suchness practice, suchness well, practice. There's also used suchness in this translation. Oh. Say the, the one that's saying this is not meditation. It's also mentioned in that. That was where I honed in. I didn't realize it was mentioned again. Yeah, this is the problem with translations, right? Anyway, just enter. It's a, I mean, it's interesting. So he says, he, where I was thinking of is closer to the beginning where he says, you know, um, there's that paragraph, need I mention the Buddha, right? You know, or Bodhidharma. And then he says, you should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, right? Forget that. Forget the pursuing words and following after speech and learn the backward step, which is a whole other thing we could talk about. Mm -hmm. The backward step that turns your light inwardly, right? And then your body and mind of themselves will drop away, which always sounds a little scary when you first read that, <laughs> and your original face will be manifest. I think we, we did discuss that briefly. And then if you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness without delay. That was the place where I oh, was. Oh, and this says, if you want to attain just this, immediately practice just this. Yeah, just this, that's it, okay. So just this is, I think, pretty closely related yeah. to suchness, that's the word suchness. Mm -hmm. And there are famous stories about that too. Like, you know, what's your teaching master? And the master says, just this is it, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Um, so all of those things that would bring up, those, those kinds of phrases bring up for Zen students, these various stories about teachers saying, you know, I teach this one thing. And one thing is, in this case, thusness or suchness, right? So Domio Burke, to just to use her as a springboard, talks about it as an experience, right? A kind of, or a shift in perspective, or right? it's not a thing. And I think one thing that she's really good on towards the end of her essay or her talk is to insist that it is not a thing. There is not a thing called suchness or thusness. It's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a thing. It only exists as an experience, right? But then there's the, these kinds of analogies that she also uses and many teachers use about, like I've also heard there's the hand, right? You know, a finger is the individual aspect of a hand and then, you know, it's, but it's dependent on for its function. You don't have a finger without the rest of it doesn't do anything, right? It's like, it can't function. Um, so it needs the whole, um, the other, way of talking about that is to have like a, you know, a single, um, like a rose bush that has many flowers on it, right? Dependent on the, the plant that it, that it springs them. But there's still a kind of gap in that understanding, I think, right? It's like, there is this separate thing, mm -hmm. right? And then we also think about this other separate thing that's called a hand, right? And so we're still caught in these categories of, you know, why do we, why do we, 
I mean, they kind of bring bring up the question, but they don't go quite far enough, I think, in thinking about the much larger question of reality, not just, you know, direct experience. Yeah, the direct experience of something that's vast, hugely vast. It's it's not just, you know, leaves on a tree, right? Or a paper or something like that. But at least it can kind of point us in that direction. But it but it is not, you know, um, something that we can pin down and say, ah, oh, yeah, there's, you know, there is, I, I understand thusness, right? As a concept, these things are kind of concept-based and they can help, but they're not thusness itself, right? So, yeah. When uh, describing it as just this, um, I've, I've heard other like non-Zen people uh, talk about that I'm wondering, like, when he says just this, is that um, should that be taken to mean literally like this? This is what you've been waiting for. <laughs> well, you know, How I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. just like I. I think you know, so it's hard to talk about this, and and I I don't want to make any kind of claim to you know to particular insight. Like I know what Dolly was talking about, but I think that because we make contact with reality in everyday experience, that might be. But I think Domi talks about. Did she talk about this in this essay about uh, experiencing a flower directly? Like you might experience one phenomenon in, and have this experience of non-separation of, of, of directly apprehending that thing. And dissolving the boundary is between what you think of as yourself and what you think of as some other thing is, I think, more the direction. And, and it's it's hard to talk about. It's hard to describe. You know it when it happens, right? And usually it's like, you know, comes and goes. Yeah, it's interesting. After reading that, I just started thinking about all the moments of dustness. That you know, that like the little everyday moments of us, and the, they're not always beautiful, but sometimes the periods of being with somebody who's dying. Yeah, I mean, any and, and, and there's this way in which something is shining through and connecting you. You know, it, well, you drop your if you, if you drop if your, your, your good bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you drop your categories, like yeah. oh, this is the person is dying and it's terrible, you know. Right. Or um, I think my teacher once, my original teacher once talked about garbage, her aversion to garbage, her anger about garbage, like people dropping stuff, trash mm -hmm. on the side of the road, you know, people throwing things out their car windows or not securing, you know, their trash so it would blow around and realizing that, that this was not really Zen, you know, to not, not only to be upset with other people, but to see the trash as separate and bad and ugly. Mm -hmm. And she she said, I'm not saying trash is beautiful. You know, the trash is is equal to, you know, plants growing by the side of the road. But to separate from anything is to divide yourself from reality. So sometimes it's, you know, you can sort of encourage yourself in this direction by contemplating something that maybe is a little hard to, you know, hard for you, like something disgusting or something yeah. it's unpleasant you know i mean I, I i always put off cleaning the litter boxes and then when i do it i think it's so bad 
you know, like, what's the big deal here? <laughs> it's like, just, I like my cats and they need, they use the box, right? So it's, you know. So there was a poem on this podcast that was listened to called Poetry Unbound. And it was entitled like, Mama Cockroach. Mama Cockroach, oh, a poem okay. called Mama Cockroach. The, the beauty of the cockroach. And it, I know. Now I look at cockroaches differently. You know, it's really, it, 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 it helps you to, anyway, it's the same. Um, yeah, so poetry can help you in that way. Well, yeah. Poetry, you know, well, poets are, you know, they're seers. They see things and they, they tell us about them. I've had a good luck with uh, cold water. Cold water. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Say something about cold water. Uh, jumping in cold water oh. and experiencing the cold um, as a teacher about the experience of cold. Like, uh, free from concepts, the cold is. Just cold. Just cold. It's not, it's just a feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and I think because it's so intense in the body, it can be, uh, let's see here, uh, kind of, it's kind of forced on, it's kind of forced on me. <laughs> There's a story too about hot water, uh, an empty cloud. I don't know if anyone knows empty cloud, he's a Chan Buddhist uh, master, but like, he talks about having hot water poured on his hand. That was like the moment that he just like became enlightened. Like he let everything go and just felt reality for what it was. Without any filter. There, there are a lot of koans about people having kind of almost violent experiences. There's one story about a, a teacher who uh, like slammed the door on his student's leg and broke it, and that enlightened him. I don't recommend you know this approach, but. But, you know, like really sudden, if, if a person is right, you know, and a teacher can see that they're, they're at a point where they could break, you know, through a sudden shock, like, and that's what this, the opportunity provided by a finger, a banner, a mallet, you know, that's what that's pointing at. They're all stories from the koans of enlightenment. He kind of runs those down though, doesn't he? Like these are not, these are just. He's saying in this, you know, he says, let's see what it says. In addition, the bringing about of enlightenment, right, by these opportunities, right, cannot be fully understood by discriminative thinking. Oh, okay. Right. So if you sit there, if you're sitting there trying to figure stuff out and you know make up standards on your own, you're going in the, you know, maybe not the best direction. Right. So sitting, which is which primes you for these other experiences that can happen, sometimes it's a person who actually says. Um, you know, smack, right, hits you, or, you know, wags their finger in your face or whatever. Um, and other times it just appears in front of you in and of itself, but it often is an encounter that encourages that to happen. Right? So, Cheryl? Yes, Court Garen. Yeah, so would, because uh, he says practice suchness without delay, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I like the jumping into cold water. What that makes me think of is um, like um, it's awareness or experience maybe, but awareness before conceptualization, bef you know, before any kind of processing. Is that? Yeah. That's what, it, that's what they say, you know, like <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I only say that because it's really difficult, right, for us. Yeah, yeah. We see a color and we immediately think that's red. Right. We don't just say color or just let it be, a, you know, a visual stimulus. It's like I'm looking at the flowers behind Jack and I'm thinking orange. You know, there's, oh, it's really hard to, to stop that. Yeah. So, but is Dogen suggesting that, you know, as we're sitting down and practicing Zazen, that, you know, that's somehow what's happening, maybe related to think not thinking? You I, know, think I think what he's saying is if you notice these categories come, coming up, if, you know, drop them, right? Mm -hmm. Drop them without delay, just and, and dropping off body and mind is you know, pointing at that. So I can look at these flowers and the first thought might be orange, but then, you know, I can like have that thought and let it go and just experience them, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's not, I think it's not just catching it before it happens, but also interrupting it. Yeah. Right? Interrupting it or, or noticing it and, and not pursuing it. Uh-huh, okay. It's when we start to say, and what kind of flowers are they? And those are seasonal and they're, they're actually, you know, uh, they have to do with the day of the dead. And then we start, you know, we're off, right? Unhooking. Unhooking. Yeah. Unhook the train, right? <laughs> Unhook the train car. Let the, let the locomotive go. <laughs> Drift along. Yes. So I think I had an experience with this and house. I used to go to the spiritual drumming circles and um, we would lie down and he would drum and we were supposed to like go into um, a kind of a sort of a journey mm -hmm. and he would do the spirit offering first and he always said the same thing every time and he would say part of it was just listen to the sound of my just listen to my voice for what it is mm -hmm. and paraphrasing mm -hmm. and I I heard what he like the next thing he said all I heard was just the sound it was it was just pure like the vibration and the tone and but I don't know what the words were so like in our modern world we need the discriminative in order to not get hit by bus right so how do we do both well, that's the, that's the sort of switching back and forth where, you know, that's where our freedom actually is. We can engage with individual phenomena and in a conventional way, like I'm talking, you're hearing my voice right now and you're making sense of what I'm saying or you're trying to, Yeah. right? But, you know, if you unhooked from the meaning that I'm expressing or trying to express, you would just hear what you were talking about, a pitch, a tone, a vibration, right? I once was fallen asleep on a plane and, and uh, everybody around me was speaking English. They happened to be speaking English, which is my native tongue. But as I was drifting, I was experiencing it as if it were a foreign language. It was not making sense to me. That's mm. what my experience was. Involved. Yeah, it's and just... it, it was pretty cool. It's like, oh, mm. this is what English sounds like to a person who doesn't understand English. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also like, this is what English is. It's just mm. these sounds and these intonations and, you know, and the meaning is what we attach to all of that, or the meaning gives rise to all of that. But it was an interesting experience just to say, oh, this is like, this is not making sense. And yeah, I know it's supposed to. So it's being able to switch back and forth between yeah, and like that skill. There's actually, a, I, I might 
dig this up for you all for next time since we're talking about this, but um, Dogen has um, some instructions for uh, that for his monks that he offers and they, they, they're kind of like approaches to Zazen in a way. Um, but he says, he, he's very straightforward about it. He says, sometimes I come into the hall and I'm just speaking from, you know, the point of view basically of the, of the relative, you know, talking to you in an ordinary way. And then at other times I'm urging you to like, you know, basically practice this self-receiving and fulfilling samadhi. He has all these modes that he deploys depending on his purpose, depending on who's in the room, how receptive they are. He's reading the room basically as a teacher and using different modes of being basically is what he's saying. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. It's an interesting um, little essay that he writes. So what does it call it? Um, it's actually in his, um, his, his, it's a big collection of his, uh, like they call it the extensive record. It's like everything that he said to his monks that's been recorded and they're numbered rather than titled. So I'd have to find the number, but I'll, I'll, I think I'll send it around so that you all can read it for yourself. But it's, it is like this kind of all these different ways that you can be when you are, you know, a human being fully, I won't say in control, but, but having fully mastered all the ways that there are to connect with whatever it is you want to connect with, right? Sometimes, you know, you have, you see a hostile dog and you can like, there, there, you know, nice doggy, nice doggy. Other times it's like, mm, I think my distance, you're right. There are different ways of, of responding to what appears in front of you. He basically tells us what they are for him. It's kind of interesting. Any other comments from y'all online? I actually wanted to add just one thing um, yeah, that kind sure. of that kind of relates <clears throat> to this topic, and it was the the closing um, paragraph in the Domio Burke article, where she said, uh, "More and more, we recognize that those moments um, when it's like the clouds part, and we see things clearly for a little bit, um, our reality. Uh, the rest of the time, I kind of get confused and caught up in my delusions. That is reality. More and more, we can think of being grounded in that." And then the rest of the time, we're kind of surfing on the waves of our karma. I just, I, I like that little quote. Yeah, and you know, the, the, I think the exhortation is to look for more and more continuity, right? Where we can maintain that groundedness in thusness, right? The absolute, the, the fundamental equality of all things while functioning in the incredible, you know, they're not separate, like this, this, this source, it's another way of talking about thusness, you know, the source of everything is not separate from all the things, all the things exist, right? So the 10,000 grasses, sometimes we hear about that, or just the 10,000 things or the myriad things, right, are all complete expressions of the one thing, right? So the one flower is an expression of not just all flowers, but of the entire universe, right? And so are we. So that is the reality that we are trying to experience. Yes. I've been really, I think I've been stuck on the thought, like my deluded mind is also part of suchness, right? It's yes. also the thing that it is. Yeah. And so then I've been sitting with the phrase and I'm now attaching to the line, the part, if you want to attain suchness, 
practice without delay. And so now I'm thinking about, because we're all talking about trying to reconnect with those moments, right? And so it's like, we want to attain and get closer to living in that world. The gaining idea of that. Yeah, the gaining idea. And so then how do you get out of that? And so then I get back to the practices without delay. And what's the one we chant right now where it says, practice in a way that directly indicates the absolute? Yeah. Which, which chant is that? Uh, we read, it was, I think it was the Shin Shin Ming that we just yeah. read. Yeah. Yeah. We so just, that line, the practice in a way that directly indicates the absolute, to me, that's like practice thusness, like practice doing that. And then you can, or sitting with it. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking about right now. Sitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like jumping into the cold water, right? Yes. It's, you know, yeah. and those sorts of experiences where you're practicing suchness without delay. The, the, yeah, like the thing that I don't really want to be doing is sometimes a peaceful thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. Or that kind of, that's the goal, it seems like. I mean, that's what troubles me is like, you know, if all this is right, then, you know, the myriad things really means all of the things. Um, so there's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of things that we can the, say are good and bad. Yeah. Right? Some yeah. uh, do. Well, the, there is a yeah. there is a teaching that that in reality, right, correctly understood or experienced, nothing obstructs anything else. And if we look out at it, the world, I, I see, you know, in my conventional mind a lot of obstruction, a lot of, right, a lot of, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for, conflict, mm-hmm. right? It's like, if this thing is going to survive, this thing can't happen, right? If we're, if the world is going to survive, if, if the natural world is going to survive, then we can't have global warming, right? But on the other hand, another way of looking at that, which is really hard for us humans, and us bodhisattvas with our tender hearts is, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, the consequence of you know, the way things are is that entire species come and go, right? We have birds because there aren't dinosaurs anymore, mm-hmm. right? We love birds, but they, you know, the dinosaurs are gone, right? And many of our ancestors to human beings, what would they be like, right? You know, they're gone, but we're here, right? So going beyond categories is like going in that direction. Right? Yes, we, we, it's not like you don't grieve for climate change or for someone or something dying or passing on or something that's, you know, missing or changing, but really looking deeply into those things that cause us deep distress is is also confronting, experiencing how things really are. And then in that way, nothing is obstructing anything. It's just, you have this happens, that happens. It's it's the law of consequences. There's no death. There's no death. There's just, yeah, and there's no birth and no death. That's a, that's a biggie for Dogen. That's what the Genjo Koan is talking about. Right? And then when you see that, the things that we are, we experience aversion to are less aversive. Are less aversive, yeah. I mean, we still react. Well, there's a, great, there's a great story about a Zen master who finds out his favorite student has died, and he, he gets very upset and cries and everything, and his other students are like, He's supposed to be beyond all this, right? You know, he's an enlightened person. And so someone finally challenges him and said, Why are you crying? He said, Well, when else should I cry? Right. Right. You know, I'm human. It's being fully human, right? Not being some super person who's never perturbed by anything and yet still practices equanimity. 
Is it a balance thing of finding the equanimity and uh, the heart focus? I think it's not clinging to, to grief. You know, like your favorite student dies and you cry and you go to the funeral and you miss that person. And, but you know, you don't, that doesn't end up being the place you're stuck. And you celebrate them. And you celebrate them and you, yeah, and you continue. And you carry them. Yeah. That's where the note, for me, the note death is even the idea that this person is suffering from me in the beginning. Well, eventually they, you know, we forget. Yeah, but in the, yeah, yeah, you always forget. There's a, there's a lot of language about form, is that Dennis, and Dennis's form. This is kind of the same discussion, like. Well, they're related. I mean, there's there's no emptiness doesn't mean nothingness, right? It just means everything is completely dependent on everything else. So form is produced out of that complete that codependent origination. Basically, produces everything. No form without emptiness and no emptiness without form. Form is an expression of emptiness, actually. Emptiness understood as uh, nothing being, having an independent existence apart from anything else. Nothing being eternal, nothing being changeless. Right. Yeah. So form is just constantly being generated out of this. And they're, they're twinned. There's no way to separate them, actually. Can you talk a little bit about like why we why we use the word emptiness? Why it's been translated that way? Because it's really hard for me not to just go to my automatic Western emptiness of nothing. Yeah, or even worse, voidness. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It was an early choice of translators who encountered the original teachings and in, in the original languages and came up with that. There are other um, boundlessness is one of Kaz's um, choices. And I think Tomio Burke mentions boundlessness maybe without attributing it to Kaz, but Kaz actually collaborated with, um, what's her name? Joan Halifax, yeah, in translating the Heart Sutra. And they, that's what they decided was a better expression of emptiness, was boundlessness. Yeah, so in, in Sanskrit, it's shunyata, which also, this, it's the same, word I think either means or has the same root as sky. Someone just mentions the sky. Um, yeah, because it was Karen. Did you mention the sky? Yeah, you? yeah I don't remember, yeah. but yeah, I and I sometimes just think maybe I will sometimes just use shunyata so I don't get stuck oh, on yeah. translation of emptiness because yeah, I like kind of like boundlessness though. I haven't heard that one, but sometimes just call it shunyata. Yeah, Shunya, if you can just remember that that's what it's referring to, it does take yeah. away that, that heavy baggage that we have of empty being the opposite of full, but it's not, you know, it's actually full of everything is another fullness, right? The potentiality is another translation, right? So all of those things are, are really kind of the opposite of emptiness, but, but the empty part, I think, is empty of this other Sanskrit term, which means the own being. And own being is mean like individual soul, right? Individual indestructible essence. That doesn't exist. Right. And Thich Nhat Han put it, yeah, empty of a separate self. Empty of a, empty of a separate self, yeah. Empty of own, own being is a 19th century, you know, kind of expression. Empty of division. 
empty of divisions. Empty of divisions, but also empty of like, you know this, right? If you look at a picture of yourself when you were three years old and you go, that's me, but it's not you, right? Right. There is nothing that, that stays the same, even though we think, you know, like, oh, that's me. There are all of these different selves that you experience as a continuous individual self. And then, of course, you know, you came into the world as and you become, you know, this person and you pass out of this world. And you don't stick around. Right. So. And no, no, Atma. no, yeah, no, no, Atma, no self soul permanent thing. There's more we can say, a lot more we can say about suchness, and we will when we continue. But I would like to, before we close, because it is, oh, we still have a few minutes, don't we? It's only, it's not quite eight, sorry, I misread my watch. Uh, so I don't want to cut us off. Any any other thoughts or questions? Yes, I don't know if you had your hand up before. Um, it's something that was kind of related to all of this, actually, uh, is, uh, that I was thinking about earlier when we were talking about um, the, like the cold law, jumping into cold water. Um, and that being just that sensation uh, and nothing else, and you're not naming it. Um, uh, I was thinking about the, how sometimes um, you know you have a thought and you're talking about I, um, and and the, you know there is no separate self here. We just keep referring to it. Um, sometimes I feel like I've thought about feeling the sensation of like that kind of seems to um, be aspa. Or validate or be evidence for uh, a, a separate self and then you know just kind of the feeling of being a person like a feeling in your chest or whatever in your head whatever it is and just that feeling just being like the orange flowers and mm -hmm. and, and, and so that you don't say that feeling oh it's i it's just the feeling and then there's the thought i um that kind of comes along with that feeling but and those both of those are um uh our suchness or emptiness. Like they aren't really, um, I say this, like really what is the, the thought? The thought is almost like uh, just as empty as that feeling. And it's very hard to describe, I, I, I guess. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I, I think I knew what you're, I mean, I is the reference point, right? It's how we center ourselves in the world and how everything refers to us. And it's in the point from which we refer to everything that, that we think of as else. Right. So one interesting exercise you can kind of like try is instead of thinking I think more like everything that is out there, if you think of normally is out there, right? Because we have eyes that look out, we think here's this is me, right? Looking at you, right? You're out there, I'm in here, right? Inside here, that's where it all's happening. But you can actually kind of break that down if you stop thinking about, I am seeing Mary, or I'm looking at Will, or I'm listening to you. And, and just let things, this is what Dogen says in Andrew Kahn, instead of going out to things, the backward step, that part of what that's referring to is taking the backward step where things come to you, right? You don't go out to them grasping and labeling and, you know, gathering it's like instead everything comes to you because they are you everything is you that's part of this yeah it's like really sorry let will finish his thought and then i'll get you guys yeah uh like really like when it when things really quiet down the difference between the feeling in the chest 
of being I and or any feeling really and some and, a, and something that appears over there it's all just like indescribable like it's not it's just um it's like equally indescribable they're like there's really no difference between a feeling and a sight really like we're saying feeling sight two things but it's yeah 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 so sorry who was speaking Dawn, was that you? I didn't catch who was talking. Oh, uh, yeah. I just wanted to comment because you referenced one of my favorite phrases that Dogen has. Uh, and even though I've read this for years now, I still get things out of it. It's that the self advances and confirms the myriad things is called delusion. That the myriad things advance and confirm the self is called enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah, the myriad things, that's one, it's a trend, one of the translations of. I really like that because it's, it's yeah, it's the difference between, right. So, and, and to me, it's the. Uh, a focus on the self or losing the self. Can you hear me? You're you're a little break broken up, but I think we can piece it together. Go ahead. Yep, you're frozen now. Uh, yeah, we you have uh, we have lost you here in the Zendo anyway. Um, That's just the the difference. There she is. Go ahead. That that was it. I think you heard okay. the phrase. Yeah, I think that's a that that is a wonderful phrase that you know we we go out to things and that you know, but actually confirming the self, which is the big self, is letting when things come to you, right, and you don't go out and grab them. I heard something once about emptiness that I keep in mind, which yeah. is that that things are empty of the meaning we give them. Hmm. That's true. Which is, could be oneself as well. Like, and the other thing I noticed about reading this, reading the, some of the text was, it's sort of like, like there's an exalted, like almost like there's an exaltedness of Zazen at the same time that it's described as something every day. And then you're just supposed to sit. <laughs> yeah, what could be, what could be simpler than just sitting? Right. <laughs> and it's something that, you know, people can, anybody can do, right? The universal recommendation for all people. And yet there's this incredible language around the practice and, and its qualities, right? The, the experience of it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's the two things together. Yeah. Anybody else who's online while I'm looking at you all? That's something. Bunkai, what have you got? Anything? No. <laughs> You're muted. It's going to stay muted. Okay. <coughs> yeah. I think for me, I'm, you know, grasping at the, it seems like there's like various meanings to all of these texts, obviously, and the teachings as well. And I think I'm just having a hard time with that. that like especially a lot of you know a lot of it is very literal you know it's like this is how you sh should sit this is 
you know, or even in some of the teachings that you've referenced, it's like there's a very specific um, teaching that's meant to come out of those stories, you know. And then at the same time, uh, like that line that uh, was it Chris Roberts about uh, moving back and forth and yeah. slowly as you sit up, and then how that's relating to death and that as a concept is like there's so much within that. And I think just for me, being this is all very new to me. It's just yeah. like interesting because when I am sitting, I feel like it is very simple. Like there's not the practice itself is very straightforward in that sense. Like there's not um you're not I'm not thinking about like Buddhist teachings and I don't know like duality and emptiness and all these like really big concepts. Um, so I don't I don't know it's more just an observation than anything else that like in these classes I feel more confused. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I mean I still keep coming and trying to <laughs> I think confusion is part of the game. Yeah. But, but you know, the the um, the effects of sitting might not be so apparent when you're sitting. Yeah, definitely. You I know? mean, even so, today, like, and we were kind of talking about it earlier, or I was thinking about this, like, again, going back to that line about standing up slowly, but I felt that there are certain days where I've been, like, rushed to get here, mm -hmm. you know, or, like, it's always rush hour and so it's like what would normally take seven minutes takes 20 minutes or whatever um and so i was thinking about how like you know my practice kind of starts you know when i leave the door or yeah. when i decide to like make a cup of tea before i leave or you know like it, it's all it's ongoing if you think about it like just when you're sitting it doesn't how it is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, if, if it's just limited to, you know, 35 minutes on the cushion, then, right, it's like, it Zen permeates your life, ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to. Be. And I think the other... Good the other that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of better things I can do with 35 minutes. <laughs> often the thought, yeah. What could I be doing with these I mean, if it was just limited to the cushion, what would the point be? I don't know. It's, it, it is something that, you know, will start, it sort of manifests in other ways that you suddenly think, I didn't do things like this before, or I didn't think like this before, or things didn't appear to me like this before. And it will happen with the teachings as well, because it's like, you know, a fire hose right now. But yeah, as yeah. you chant these, that, that's one reason why we chant, because it's, as you chant them, they sink in on a level that, you know, like anytime you memorize something by just over and over again, you know, repeating it, it becomes part of you and it it will pop up at, at odd moments. I mean, that happened to me once with, with Genjo Koan, actually. And it was during, it happened to be during a retreat because we've been immersed in sitting and, you know, not talking much. And suddenly some phrase, I forget which one it is now because it was like 20 years ago, just, it just appeared, the whole sentence appeared in my, right in front of me and it made complete sense. It was like, yes. I thought, oh, <laughs> hey, it's working. <laughs> so, and and that will happen, you know, like as long as you practice and as long as you read this stuff or listen, you know, or, or study it, it just keeps unfolding. I like that phrase. 
unfolding the Dharma because it's it just keeps, you know, it's like like an onion. You can keep peeling away, never get to the bottom of it. So welcome to confusion. Why don't we um it's a little after eight. Why don't we can we chant the this one text? It's a little bit long, but it's you know combined to two pages. So this is the the uh the um PDF I think I sent around. It's the self-receiving and employing samadhi, which is in the email I sent y'all. Did you use some I or no? Yes, did you use some I? Yeah. Self receiving and influencing. So, this is just to get us in the mood for next week, okay? Um, and it's it's the core of the, it's a, it's a big chunk of the text of the Bendo Walk. So, everybody got a copy? So when we chant this in the Zendo, we, we chant it kind of like, you know, now all ancestors and all Buddhas who uphold Buddha Dharma, right? We do, we do that kind of chanting, but we could just read it this time, right? Just read it out loud. Um, so not, you know, with a certain, yeah, right. So now all ancestors and all Buddhas who uphold Buddha Dharma have made it the true path of enlightenment to sit upright practicing in the midst of self-fulfilling samadhi. Those who retain the enlightenment in India and China follow this way. It was done so because teachers and disciples personally transmitted this excellent method as the essence of the teaching. In the authentic tradition of our teaching, it is said that this directly transmitted, straightforward Buddha-dharma is the unsurpassable of the unsurpassable. From the first time you meet a master, without engaging in incense offering, bowing, chanting Buddha's name, repentance, or reading scriptures, you should just wholeheartedly sit and thus drop away body and mind. When even for a moment you express the Buddha's seal in the three actions by sitting upright in samadhi, the whole phenomenal world becomes the Buddha's seal and the entire sky turns into enlightenment. Because of this, all Buddha Tathagatas, as the original source, increase their dharma bliss and renew their magnificence in the awakening of the way. Furthermore, all beings in the ten directions and the six realms, including the three lower realms, that once attained pure body and mind, realize the state of great emancipation and manifest the original face. At this time, all things realize correct awakening. Myriad objects partake of the Buddha body. And sitting upright under the Bodhi tree, you immediately leap beyond the boundary of awakening. At this moment, you turn the unsurpassably great Dharma wheel and expound the profound wisdom, ultimate and unconditioned. Because such broad awakening resonates back to you and helps you inconceivably, you will in Zazen unmistakably drop away body and mind cutting off the various defiled thoughts from the past and realize essential Buddha Dharma. 
Thus you will raise up Buddha activity at innumerable practice places of Buddha Tathagatas everywhere, cause everyone to have the opportunity of ongoing Buddhahood and vigorously uplift the ongoing Buddha Dharma. Because earth, grass, trees, walls, tiles, and pebbles all engage in Buddha activity, those who receive the benefit of wind and water caused by them are inconceivably helped by the Buddha's tides, splendid and unthinkable, and awakened intimately to themselves. Those who receive these water and fire benefits spread the Buddha's guidance based on original awakening. Because of this, all those who live with you and speak with you will obtain endless good virtue and will unroll widely inside and outside of the entire universe the endless, unremitting, unthinkable, unnameable Buddha Dharma. All this, however, does not appear within perception because of its unconstructedness and stillness. It is immediate realization. If practice and realization were two things as it appears to an ordinary person, each could be recognized separately. But what can be met with recognition is not realization itself. Because realization is not reached by a deluded mind. In stillness, mind and object merge in realization and go beyond enlightenment. Nevertheless, because you are in the state of self-fulfilling samadhi, without disturbing its quality or removing a particle, you extend the Buddha's great activity, the inaudibly profound and subtle teaching. Grass, trees, and lands which are embraced by this teaching together radiate the great light and endlessly expound the inconceivable, profound dharma. Grass, trees, and walls bring forth the teaching for all beings, common people as well as sages, and they therefore extend this dharma for the sake of grass, trees, and walls. Thus, the realm of self-awakening and awakening others invariably holds the mark of realization with nothing lacking, and realization itself is manifested without ceasing for a moment. This being so, the Zazen of even one person at one moment imperceptibly accords with all things and fully resonates through all time. Thus, in the past, future, and present of the limitless universe, this Zazen carries on the Buddha's teaching endlessly. Each moment of Zazen is equally wholeness of practice, equally wholeness of realization. This is not only practice while sitting, it is like a hammer striking emptiness. Before and after, its exquisite feel permeates everywhere. How can it be limited to this moment? Hundreds of things all manifest original practice from the original face. It is impossible to measure. Know that even if all Buddhas of the ten directions, as innumerable as the sands of the Ganges, exert their strength and with the Buddha's wisdom try to measure the merit of one person's asana, they will not be able to fully comprehend it. So, you know, Domio Burke talks about hope. You know, she talks about why people turn to religion. And, you know, one of those reasons is hope. 
but she doesn't really define hope in Buddhism. She talks about it, but doesn't. To me, the hope is the, this is it. <laughs> it's like one moment of zazen, even if I just have one moment of true zazen, right? It's, it's vast in its effects. So, yeah. And the grass, trees, and walls, and fences, and pebbles, and tiles, right? Those are just the 10,000 things. So this is what we'll be doing for the next, for the last half of this class, leading through this. Yeah. This is so much more mind-blowing than the Fukai was doing. It's what? So much more mind-blowing than the last one. Mind-blowing, yeah. It's, well, the Fukai the Zengi was the how-to man. And this is the, you know, this is like, right, this is it. Yeah, mind-blowing. All righty, so it's time. Thank you all. Thank you all online. See you next time, next week. Safe home. Yes, please. Yes, All of us. <laughs>